Good morning. Terry. Oh, no big deal. There you are. How you doing, brother? Doing. I had it too slow. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My death to be from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My death to pay from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on Make sure he didn't get lost somewhere. I mean, I, I, I know we got a lot of chairs and all, but you know, they're they're all pretty good. Uh, <laughs> oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! Who have displayed your splendor above the heavens? From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all, sh all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, 
the birds of the heavens and the fish of the seas, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done, the demonstration of your power, your might, but also the demonstration of your mercy. By your work, we are healed. By your taking our penalty, we are clean. And you have promised us a kingdom that is coming where you will rule and sin and death and pain and suffering will be put away. Lord, strengthen us to walk that walk, that we would follow that path faithfully unto your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Father in heaven, how we love you. We lift your name in all the earth. May your kingdom be established in our praises. As your people declare your mighty work, Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Father and heaven, now we love you. We lift your name in all the earth. May your kingdom be established in our praises. As your people declare your mighty works, blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Who reigns
righty. Couple of things, uh, reminders. I haven't said anything about it in a couple of weeks, but we are getting towards the end of the month. If you have your backpack stuff somewhere that's not here, please get it here. <laughs> we want to be able to distribute that end of this month, first of November. So if you, I saw a couple folks brought stuff in today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But if you have not yet, you still have it at your house. Just migrate it this way. I'm being as polite as I can. Be like, hey, get it now. No. Uh, reminder, after the service today, we have a business meeting, so hang around. Jonathan will be late for Costco, so that'll be okay. It's one of my missions in life. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Well, we'll, we'll count ourselves blessed. A <laughs> um, couple of prayer requests. Can you, uh, if you remember this week, be in prayer for uh, Joe, a friend of Mike Houston's who has colon cancer. They are having surgery this week, tomorrow. And you may want to be in prayer for Terry, who had his appendix taken out. <laughs> <laughs> this past week. So he's playing hurt today. I told him he could stay home, but he said he was good. So, <laughs> Lord so, is good. Yeah. So make sure you make sure you pat him on the side really well. Tell him good job. <laughs> it's like when someone tells you they have a sunburn, you go, how'd you do this? Oh, goodness. All right, so another vow. That, that would explain the thing. Jo I think Jonathan's offended. Nobody called him. <laughs> well, look. Look in the bright side, Jonathan. Now you know where you stand. <laughs> so be in prayer for Shirley this week. Are, is she going this week to get the valve looked at, or are they just getting her on the schedule? Kind of decide what she wants to do, yeah. So be in prayer for Shirley and family. Um, and Bill also. Oh, yeah, see, I, he you. may have bronchitis. Yeah, Bill is sick, so that's why he's not here. So it's just that time of year now, isn't it? So everybody get prepared. You will all be diagnosed sooner or later. <laughs> there you go. Um, anything I'm forgetting, read your bulletin. It'll do you good. Um, going once, going twice. All right, let's have some fun. Ha, 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 or be depressed, depending on how you look at survey results. All right, question number one. Modern science disproves the Bible. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the trivia. That's trivia. That's one of the survey questions. Now, for those that attend evangelical churches once a week, 18% of them said that was true. Eight. I'm actually encouraged by that number. I thought it would be worse, so I, I took 18% as good. 77% said it was false. If you remove attendance and denominational affiliation, 33% of the people thought that statement was true, and 49% thought it was false. So just goes to show you that there are 18% of the Christians that go to church once a week in evangelical churches think that science disproves the Bible, which my question is always, again, 
why do you go to an evangelical church once a week if you think science is disproven what's in the Bible? I see these are the questions that I ask, and, and I probably shouldn't because I don't think there's good answers, or if there are answers, they are definitely not good. Yeah, I probably don't want to hear the answers. So, all right, number two for today. God will always reward true faith with material blessings in this life. <laughs> wouldn't that be so much better, right? No, no, it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be better because you know how many of us have really good true faith most of the time. Yeah, other than Jonathan, of course. Um, of those once a week, uh, of those once a week attenders, thirty-four percent of the respondents thought that that was a true statement. 61% of them thought it was a false statement, which what that tells me is 34% of the people have never read the book of Job. <laughs> it's just not in their Bibles, apparently. Which is frightening, because if you remove the denominational affiliations and attendance, only 36% thought it was true, so that's almost identical to the 34 of the regular attenders, but 51% thought it was false, which, if you do the math, that means about 15% of people went, oh. so there you go. All right, here, this is a good one. This, all right, Jonathan, hang on. I, I have to prepare the children. Inhale, exhale. All right, you good? Are you in a calm place? No, no, you need to be seated. Okay, all right. Hell is a real place where certain people will be punished forever. 88% of regular church attenders and of evangelical churches thought that statement was true. 8% thought it was false. <laughs> I was expecting that from Jonathan. I'm, get, I'm getting it from all sides here. <laughs> Good answer. See, this is when I say that that's an encouraging result. I, I would like it to be a little bit better than that, but I will take that. Now, here's where you get depressed. Remove attendance and remove denominational affiliation. 56% of the people thought that statement was true, and 28% thought it was false which again means about 15 plus percent of the people went, they have no idea. They just have no idea. So what have we learned today, children, in this? That there are people going to churches once a week that think the Bible has been proven false by modern science, which again makes me wonder, why do you go to a church once a week? Like I would expect that from the... Um, one of our derogatory terms that we, that, well, I say we, as I, I mean, the, the people of my profession is the Christer crowd, you know what I mean when I say that? The people that show up at church on Christmas and Easter. Like, I would expect that answer from the Christers. People that go to church once a week? What are you going for? See, these are the questions that I ask, and again, as I refer to them with Cameron, these are the thoughts that keep me out of the really good schools, because you're not supposed to ask these questions out loud. People don't understand what's in the Bible. They don't understand how the Bible works. They don't understand what God promises, and they don't understand the consequences of sin. Other than that, we're doing a good job, <laughs> which you know, I think I just kind of laid out pretty much the entirety of Christian doctrine and Christian living. So again, I don't, see, I don't give you this to depress you. I give you all this information because when someone says, yes, I'm a member of a church, and yes, I go regularly, ask more questions. <laughs> Assume nothing in this world because a great lesson that I heard a few years ago from from a pastor was if you want to know what's wrong with the culture examine the predominant cult and by that he was using the technical definition we would be one of the cults of the culture one of the religious groups we used to be the predominant influence upon culture we aren't anymore we just aren't 
So if you want to know why does the world look like it does, well, what is the world believing in? What is the world following after? What do they th- how do they think this place works? And worse, how do professed believing Christians think the world works, think the faith is supposed to be active, and see what's wrong with that? If we want to actually change a society, we have to start by changing churches. If we want to change churches, what do we have to do? We have to change people in churches. That comes from a consistent teaching and understanding of what the Bible is, how it works, how God operates, how faith should function in this world. There you go. So there, this how do I do something? I work on me each and every day, and then I work in my spheres of influence to make disciples. We have not, and I'm, I'm not blaming like you specifically. When I say we, I mean the church in this country in general has not done a good job of that the last 30, 40 years. We've been out a lot, about a lot of things. Discipleship has not been one of them, and I think we're reaping a lot of that in in the world today. So, kind of points you in a direction to show you what the state of the church actually is. So, any questions? Going once, going twice, then let's stand and sing. I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And then a little light from heaven filled my soul. It bathed my heart in love and wrote my name above. And just a little talk with Jesus makes me whole. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by. Now when you feel little prayer will turn and then you'll know little fire is burning. Find a little talk with Jesus makes it bright. Sometimes my past seems drear without a ray of cheer. And then a cloud of doubt may hide the light of day. The mist of sin may rise and hide the starry skies, but just a little talk with Jesus clears away. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by. Now when you feel little prayer will turn and then you'll know little fire is burning. Find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. I may have doubts and fears, my eyes be filled with tears, but Jesus is a friend who watch day and night. I go to him in prayer, he knows my every care, and just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by. Now when you feel little prayer will turn and then you'll know little fire is burning. Find a little talk with Jesus makes it bright. Now let us talk with Jesus, let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry, he will answer by and by. Now when you feel little prayer will turn and then you'll know little fire is burning. Find a little talk with Jesus makes it bright. 
You'll find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. When the world is called up yonder, I haven't sung this in a long time, and to be perfectly honest, the way the world goes, I'm ready to get up yonder someday. <laughs> so it's like, Jesus, take me now, especially in the Walmart parking lot. So <laughs> I almost got hit two days, two weeks ago. So yeah, with, with God in the car. So yeah, anyway, yeah, when the world is called up yonder, if you know it, feel free to sing along. One that I've known, but we'll just kind of go with it. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the yonder when the roll is called up yonder i'll be there on that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share when his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies and the roll is called up yonder i'll be there when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the Yonder, I'll be there. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, when she said she almost got run over, she she wasn't in the car. <laughs> she was walking across the parking lot, leaving Walmart with the groceries and was clear and was standing the the little island there the end of the row closest to walmart 
and a woman came through and was looking at her parking spot and just started to turn and cut short to make sure she could get into the parking spot while Cameron's got the cart with the kids in the cart. <laughs> yeah. I, well, see, the difference between you and I, you would say that. My answer was I'll have to pay them more next time. So, <laughs> Oh, come on. Come on. Yeah, I'm telling you. You don't see how she tries to poison me, so. <laughs> Gets the dirty look. That was, um, she, she did get a good laugh. I got to show her a picture the other day. It asked the question, why do, why do women have to cook for men? No, it isn't. Because the law states that all prisoners must be fed. See? <laughs> See? See, you're with me on this. There you go. <laughs> It did with everyone not sitting directly next to someone who has access to their rib cage. See, Dan was smart. He put that arm down first. <laughs> you guys know I'm kidding. You know I'm kidding. I tell you all the time, pray for my wife. She's married to an idiot. So, all right, something useful. We get plague number six. And yes, just four little verses, which is kind of fun today because that means we get to take a few exit ramps. And I know you just love when we get in the exit ramp and go get lost in the wilderness somewhere. But the advantage of those ramps today is it helps us explain the working of God. And the reason why this is important, the working of God then is the same as the working of God now. The means by which he does it may be different, but the work is still the same. This is why we actually still read our Old Testament, why we can study it, why we should know what's in it because it gives us the bridge to understanding who God is, how he does things, and why all this New Testament stuff is happening the way that it's happening. A uh, good way to understand your Bible. The Old Testament is a book without an ending. The New Testament is a book without a beginning. You need to put them together and to make sense of what God is telling you. So with all of that said, the fun sixth plague, Exodus 9, 8-12. through 12. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kiln and let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the land of Egypt and will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from a kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it toward the sky and it became boils breaking out with sores on man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Yes, I promise you, there's a whole Sunday in there. This is where I need Ginger to roll her eyes at me, but they're on vacation, so. All right. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kiln. Let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. All right. Stupid question of the day. Do we need the soot? No. No. God doesn't need the soot for anything. You rewind in your Bible, Genesis 1-3. Then God said, let there be light. And what's the punchline? And there was light. You see the same formula repeated in Genesis 1-6, 1-9, 1-14, 1-20, 124, and 126. You think he's making a point in the first chapter of Genesis about how things can get done? So do I. Which means, this is one of your rules for reading your Bible. When you see something like this, it should kind of like set off some flashbulbs in your brain, which means you should be answering a question. If we don't need the soot, why did we grab the soot? 
And believe it or not, I think we can get a lesson from the New Testament on this, John chapter 12. My soul has become troubled. This is Jesus speaking. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose, I came to this hour. He's talking about the impending crucifixion. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. God speaks. God uses means. God does things for a purpose. It is a demonstration. Yes, Moses can, you know, go in there. Hold on. Dry throat wants to misbehave. The hems when you start running the heat in the house. All of a sudden, all the moisture in my throat just immediately goes away. So they could have walked in and said, boils on everybody, you know, and shazam, all the boils are on everybody. But they didn't do that. Why? So it's a thing. We're going to throw it up in the air, and what's going to happen to this cloud? It's going to go out. It's going to set. It's going to look like something. It's a demonstration. You can see it. Remember this. This is not for Moses. This is not for Aaron. This is for the Egyptians and for the people that are standing there. We're going to come back to this in just a minute. Verse 9. It will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast through all the land of Egypt. Remember the gnats? The, uh, the uh, noceum bugs that chew on you and leave the sores? Yeah, we're, we're repeating that a little bit here. Remember what this does to the priests. In order for the Egyptian priests to do their offerings, to make their sacrifices, to do their work, they have to be ritually washed and shaved daily. How many of you want to shave with massive bug bites on you? How many of you want to shave with boils and sores breaking out? Isn't this fun? <laughs> it's like sermons designed by 13-year-olds at Halloween. Now, anybody notice anything odd about this? All right, let's run down our plagues real quick. This is, my, this is pop quiz time for you and me because I'm going to mess this up, so you guys help me out. All right, plague number one was on what? Water turned to blood. Then we got what? Frogs. Then we got the gnats, and then we got flies, and then we've got the plague on the cattle. Now what do we have? There it is. We have boils on the people. We've kind of crossed a bridge here, haven't we? We are no longer just affecting the world. We are no longer affecting your things. We are now affecting who directly? You. We've gone from the bugs biting you and making you break out. That's not affecting you directly. That's an indirect cause. God sent the bugs. The bugs made you miserable. Now God is doing this. We are directly going after Pharaoh and his kingdom in a direct manner. Demonstrating what? Psalm 144. O Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? Or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Psalm 39. Lord, make me to know my end that it, and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. It's a demonstration of power here. What's one of the ways you can demonstrate power in this instance? It's what God is doing. It's not just by afflicting, but by demonstrating helplessness. 
The Egyptians can see the soot going up. They can see the cloud going forth. They can see the dust settling. And what can they do about it? Nothing. Nothing. Part of the lesson of learning how big God is is also alternatively learning what else? How small you actually are. It's good for you, believe it or not. It's good to wonder at the things of creation, to marvel at the things God has done, and to think about this. Because when God becomes bigger, you become smaller. When you become smaller, that's good news. Your problems lessen, your concern for this world diminishes, and your trust in him increases because you realize the actual relationship. A great counseling book I read years ago, uh, Ed Welch, if you want to read something about how to live in this world, When People Are Big and God is Small. <laughs> and he traces down a lot of our sin problems to what he calls the fear of man. We think this world. We think the people of this world. We think our adversaries. We think sin is bigger than it really is, and we fail to actually understand just how majestic and mighty God truly is. Remember what God is doing in the Exodus. He is claiming a people, redeeming them by his power. Part of that demonstration is what? His actual power, the extent of it, the majesty of God. Now, there is another reason to do this work in this way. And that reason goes by the name of Sekhmet. Which again, if you're looking for a name for grandchildren... Not going to be many Sekhmets running around kindergarten in a few years. This is the lion-headed goddess, say that three times fast, of healing in Egypt. Hmm. This is why it was important to demonstrate power to the Egyptians. Here's why. If Aaron just comes in and waves the staff, who did it? Aaron did it, but you're going to give credit to Aaron's god. So Aaron's god did it. What's the, what's the way to undo it? You get to wave it back. You got to get Aaron's God to undo it. But in this instance, Soot did it. Which means, in theory, what should be able to be done? If something natural did it, then something natural should be able to undo it. This is one of the reasons why this demonstration is what it is. You see the soot going out. You see it falling. And now I got both. That means the soot did it. Which means if I scrub it right or if I get the right ointment or the right medicine, something provided to us by the goddess Sekhmet, should be able to undo this. i got bad news for you. <laughs> it ends up attacking, once again, the Egyptian pantheon. Sekhmet also has a second role. She is one of the protectors of the pharaoh. Oops. Because <laughs> pharaoh and his magicians and all of his people are being affected by this, aren't they? She is the protector. She is also the very bloody protector. She, uh, Egyptian mythology is fun. All mythology is kind of fun. I used to, I used to do my, uh, my history papers on this in high school and college on Greek mythology. I, I was weird. I am weird. I was weirder. How about that? So we'll just we'll go with that. See, i got to say it before you guys say it. You're like, what do you mean was? We have to listen to you. And some of these stories are just bizarre. So Sekhmet has one where she goes on this killing spree of humanity that she's supposed to be protecting. And she's just so into killing people because she likes to see them bleed that they finally have to trick her by see if you can catch parallels here. They take beer. I don't write. The, I don't make up the stories. The Egyptians did. They take beer and dye it red and pour it out. So she thinks that the red beer is actually blood, and she follows that trail, and then they're able to grab her and pull her off. But <laughs> yeah, 
when the river turns to blood, what do you think everybody started thinking? Oh, we're pulling Sekhmet out again. No, 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 we're not. Yahweh is staking his claim. Yahweh is planting his flag. The same thing is going on here. You can pray for your healing. Guess what's going to happen with Sekhmet? Nothing. You can try to wash away the soot. Guess what's going to happen to your boils? Nothing. The power of God being demonstrated both supernaturally and in the natural realm. God doesn't just have power because he's up in the heavens doing some bippity-boppity-boo magic. He has power because he is the one who has made, who directs, and who commands everything, including dirt and soot from a kiln. So, verse 10. So they, this is Moses and Aaron, took soot from a kiln, stood before Pharaoh. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall for this one? Like, can you imagine Pharaoh sitting there as these two guys come back in here and you got to be starting to think, like, what are they going to do next? They're digging around in the fireplace. Okay. And threw it towards, toward the sky, and it became boils, breaking out on, with sores on man and beast. Now, this is one of those verses in your Bible where you say, duh. Of course this is what happened, because what did God just say two verses previously? That this was going to happen. Remember, once again, consistent theme throughout your Bible beginning to end. Does God just speak because he likes the sound of his own voice? <laughs> no, you don't do that with your children. God does not do that with his. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, this is again that majesty being displayed, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, making it bare and sprout, furnishing seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Isaiah 55 would agree. God does not speak because he likes the sound of his own voice. God speaks because he is accomplishing things. This is not just an Old Testament concept. See, let's have some fun. How many of you have ever been, you know, like traveling to Walmart, driving down the road, sitting in a field, doing whatever, and God's voice thundered out of heaven and you were just like, yes? See, I like asking that because you know how many people are actually willing to admit that that's happened? Yeah, very small, because you know how many people it actually happens to on a regular basis? It doesn't. Where do we have God's word speaking to us? See, we, we have a Bible. You have, see, I, I always make this joke, like, you know, how do I know what God requires of me? Well, they wrote it down. I say that because welcome to your weapon. Welcome to how you attack this world and how you carry over the Old Testament idea into the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 4, the word of God talking about this thing right here, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, this is, a, this is important for understanding your modern world and dealing with your modern world. Why? Does 8 to 12% of regular church attenders of evangelical church think that science has disproved the Bible? Why would 8 to 12% of those people think that that is true? Because I can actually tell you the answer. 
They have been told their entire lives by every authority outside of the four walls of the church that it is true. They just, when they went to school, what were they told? They were told that. When they go to work, what are they told? When they watch the news, what are they told? When they see the History Channel specials at Christmas time about Jesus, what are they told? They're, I mean, it's just, it's Chinese water torture for the brain. It's just constant. It never, ever stops. And then it gets worse, because if you read the right Sunday school curriculum, what are you told? The same thing. It's just a constant drumbeat. Now, why? Why in the world would the secular world bang that drum? The word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing as, far, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, you wield the weapon in the culture, and you know what the culture says? Ow, that hurt. Stop it. If you don't stop it, what, can, what is the culture's only defense left? I've got to figure out a way to dull that sword. Let's convince them it's not true. Welcome to the modern American church. Convince enough of them that it's not true, and then you get told, well, you can't argue like that. That's the Bible. We're talking about science. Fail to see the problem here. Fail to see. We're talking about medicine. Gotcha. In order to do medicine, you need a foundation of God. We, um, we talked about this Wednesday. We did this, right? Um, We've done this in here before. We'll do it again because, you know, we got that kind of time. Yeah, we got that kind of time. All right. If I drop this, what's going to happen? It's going to fall. Now, how many times do I have to drop that for it to fall? Yeah. How many times that I drop it, will it fall? Every single time. Now, here's the important question. Why? <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. Nope, that's wrong as well. Because that is how God ordered and ordained the universe to function and put the laws in place so that they would work. It works every single time because that is how God has laid it out. If I remove God from the picture, what is the scientific explanation? It now becomes a lovely word they like to throw out there called random. The universe randomly exists. Molecules randomly collide. These things randomly happen, which means if I drop the water bottle enough times in a random universe, what will happen? At some point, it won't fall because it'll just randomly hover. Why doesn't that happen? See, that doesn't happen because the universe is not random. This is why the secular world wants to dull the sword. Because if I can dull the sword and get you to stop believing it, you know what you stop doing with it? You stop cutting me with it. Because what does the word do? What reveals the sinful hearts and thoughts of men? Scripture. The work of the Holy Spirit. What does he use? He uses the testimony to Christ. Where do we find the testimony to Christ? It's in the word. Where do I find where I come from, where I'm going, how I get there, and what I'm supposed to do in the meantime? It's in Scripture. If I want to deny all of that, I have to deny the foundations and dig apart. This is what the world does to you on a daily basis. It attacks. 
Am I getting too close to the camera? Am I getting out of the frame? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it. <laughs> I, I dance around like a trained monkey, and sometimes I get out of camera, and Elena made a motion. I was making sure I was still in the middle of it. Because <laughs> you want to see my lovely smiling self, I know. <laughs> As I get grayer by the week. Um, this is what the world wants to do. It wants to take away the only weapon we actually have. Christian, don't let him do it. What God spoke in the Old Testament was for the accomplishing of his kingdom, the building up of his work. What he does in the New Testament is proves that and continues on. He then gives us a scripture, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 2 Peter 1, that accomplishes these tasks. And if we start standing on something else, we've, we've given up the fight before it even started. This is why Jesus' teaching was what it was. Go back to Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It's a really good question. Like, how do you proclaim, profess to follow after Christ and not listen to anything that Christ actually tells you to do? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show them, I will show you who he is like. He's like a, a man building a house, dug deep, laid a foundation on the rock, and you know the story, right? The flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. The torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. This is wisdom in the world, is actually building your life, your thoughts, your decisions on the foundation that is Christ and his word. Now, the beauty of that story beginning to end Old Testament to New Testament is, how often do we get that right? <laughs> Never as often as we would like. Remember the starting point. A gracious, loving God. That's why I read what I read in Psalm 8 this morning. Who is man that you are mindful of him? Look at the power on display. God showing his otherliness, his beyond us. The big fancy technological term is the transcendence of God. He is a transcendent being beyond your comprehension and your understanding. If you would like to understand what that is like, just explain the Trinity to somebody. And as your brain starts to turn to mush and you try to make sense of it and you can't do it, you're like, I don't understand this God. Exactly. You now understand the transcendence of God. But Scripture also explains to us that he is imminent, that he is near and close to us. What does that look like? Oh, I don't know. That looks like a salvation, an identifying with us, a taking of our sin, a bearing of our penalty, and a granting to us of righteousness. How does he do that? By giving us the Holy Spirit. By giving us himself, indwelling us. You don't get any more imminent than that, is union with God. Union with Christ through the Holy Spirit, united to the Father, all that Trinitarian theology, all back together. And you have this in the work of Christ in salvation. You have this in the plan of God from beginning to end. This is why John uses the terminology that he uses in the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Fast forward a little bit to verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, John's got a dual purpose there. He's identifying the Greek concept of wisdom and knowledge, the logos, the Word. But he's also hearkening back to the Old Testament de uh, definitions that God has given, that his Word accomplishes his purpose. 
His word accomplishes what he's planning and what he's doing. What is God doing? He is redeeming a sinful people from beginning to end. How will that be done? By the word made flesh, Christ himself. This is why there is no other way. This is why there is not another salvation and why no other religion can claim this truth. They do not have the truth because they do not have Christ, the accomplisher of God's plan, the bringer about of God's kingdom. It is contained only in God himself, revealed in Christ. <sighs> Told you we had a couple of highways that we'd take today, so there was one. But it was a good one, right? That's worth a trip. So, verse 11. <clears throat> the magicians, gotta love the magicians, could not stand before Moses because of the boils. All right. Gonna go ahead and warn you now, the next little highway we take isn't as encouraging. <laughs> Just gonna go ahead and warn you that right now. This is where it starts to get a little bit ugly. Remember where these guys started? You remember where our magician friend started, uh, Exodus 7? Pharaoh called for the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. So Aaron waved the staff, and the waters turned to blood, and the magicians went, oh yeah? Well, we got some water too. Hang on. Ha! See, it's blood. Look, see, 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 we can do that too. Uh, later on in chapter 7, the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. See, once again, Aaron waved the staff. The frogs came out of the Nile, and we were all covered in frogs. And the magician said, oh, yeah, we can make frogs too. Open the bag. Yeah, we got frogs. See, look, frogs. See, they're so big and mighty, weren't they? They were convincing Pharaoh, winning the battle. Uh, Exodus 8, you see the same thing. The magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs. I'm sorry, I missed the plague there. Making frogs come to the land of Egypt. Now, we went from there, standing, brave, smart, intelligent men, creating problems where problems already exist, solving nothing. And then we got to the end of chapter 8. The magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. And the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Oops. We went from mighty magicians with their secret arts, standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with Yahweh as they thought, to being humbled and beaten. And now what do we have? The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. They moved from mighty adversaries to defeated nitwits to judged of God. Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? I don't think you can come up with a better definition. Like, what's a vain thing? I don't know. Trying to lie to the people in Pharaoh by duplicating the works of God. I think that might qualify as a vain thing, don't you? Yeah, that'd be a pretty good definition. The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart, cast away their cords from us. So in other words, who do they want to be in charge of this place? Them! I mean, this is what does sinful rebellion against God look like? It looks like me wanting to do what I want to do. Me dulling the sword of the word. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He will speak to them in his anger, terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord, he said to me. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. 
Therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the sun that he not become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled, and how blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, maybe asking yourself, self, what do magicians having boils have to do with God's judgment in Psalm 2? We read that a few weeks ago when we talked about Pharaoh standing in opposition to God, because what does the wise king do? The wise king examines, the wise king weighs evidence, he thinks things through, and he determines what is good and right in the sight of God before God. He determines what is good and right in the service of God. To do otherwise would to be foolish, or as I like to say, dumb. And what's the rule? Don't do dumb things. Now, even if you are not a king, because last I checked, any of you royalty, like actual, not like invented royalty. Like, I don't know, if you dig far enough back, maybe you get a, a genealogy, you'll be, you know, you get into the English royalty somewhere along the line because, let's just be honest, the English, English royalty are related to everybody, aren't they? So if you're of European descent, you're probably related to some English royalty somewhere. They're related to everyone, including themselves, and that'll be the last of my English royal jokes. Uh, <laughs> it is what it is. Duh. If you want, if you want a fun afternoon, just go digging and explain to yourself how a family of Scottish descent in the 1600s is now a family of German descent in the 20th, 20th first century, while never actually not still being related to each other. And if you can figure that out without like a family vine, then you're doing better than I am because that there, there's European royalty in a nutshell. So, completely forgot where I was going with that. So. Where are we going? Ah, yes, the magicians. You're not a king. So I don't have to do that work, all right? That's for kings to do. Kings should be discerning. Kings should be thinking. Kings should be making wise decisions, right? Well, they should, but who else should be as well? Everyone. Now, if you're one of the magicians, you're one of the wise men of Pharaoh, what should you be giving him? Wise advice, wise counsel. What have these nitwits been doing this entire time? Nitwittery, and if that's not a word, it is now. You can use nitwittery in a sentence that is now a word. Therefore, by taking their stand against God, by deceiving Pharaoh, by helping to harden his heart, they have drawn a battle line against God. They are not standing in wisdom. They are not seeking to do homage to the Son. And yes, that's Psalm 2's language, talking about the Son of God. They are not seeking to act in accordance with his precepts. They are seeking to make themselves God on this world. Now, Psalm 2 is not the end of the description of God's ruler. I like the one at the end of the book, Revelation 19. John writing, I saw heaven opened, and behold, all right, you know your rule, right? Anytime you see a behold, something important is coming. A white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Now, as I read this, keep in mind the description that was given in Psalm 2 of the judgment of God and the sun coming down and ruling with a rod of iron and all that good stuff. 
His eyes are a flame of fire. His, on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and you will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if you want that in musical form, you'll have to ask Cameron to sing it for you at the end, because that's part of the Messiah, and she loves that part, and she'll be thrilled to do it for you, I promise. Now, notice how much stuff we just carried over that we have already been discussing from Old Testament to New Testament. Where does the sword come from? Did you catch it? No. The, the sword, he's seated on the horse, the eyes are a flaming fire, and the sword, sword comes from his mouth. What's your sword, Christian? The word of God. What's Jesus' sword? The word, literally, when he, the man speaks, it's what? It's the word of God. The rod of iron that the sun will crush the kings of the earth who are in rebellion with of Psalm 2 is what? The rod of iron that Jesus rules the nations with in Revelation 19 because he's doing what? He is enacting judgment. That's why he's treading the winepress of the wrath of God. You know what a winepress does? It takes grapes and turns them into grape juice. Well, if we run you through the wine press, we take you and we turn you into you. That's the wrath of God on display. It's figurative language. It's good for you. It's, it's poetically teaching. These are the connections. Now, why? What was promised at the beginning of Revelation? Jesus speaking to the church of Thyatira in chapter 2. He who overcomes, he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, as vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. I will give him the morning star. He who has ear, let him hear that the Spirit, or sorry, what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I got to read this because I can't put all this into my head because I'm clever enough to write it down, but I'm not clever enough to memorize it. I'm just not that good. So let's do this as a proof and actually run this through. The incarnation of God from Psalm 23, and I know I have not read Psalm 23, but let's just be honest. How many of you don't know Psalm 23? Okay, just making sure. The main part we're concerned with here is what? Why can you walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Because God is with me. Well, why is that important? Because what is he carrying with him as he walks through the valley of shadow of death with you? A big stick! A rod and a staff. See, incarnation, to put on flesh, the, the enfleshment of the God of Psalm 23 is the son of Psalm 2. That's why you have the rod language carried through. This is the Jesus of the New Testament, people. This is how this comes through. The Jesus of the New Testament is the same one making the promise in Revelation 2, and he is promising the events of Revelation 19. So he's warning them, look, follow the path, lest what occur to you? I come in judgment. This is the warning. This is the reminder. Now, this Jesus of Revelation 19 is the final revelation and accomplishment of God's kingdom. That's why when you're reading the book of Revelation, it goes from 19, 20, 21, 22, and we're, we're done here. Because 20, evil is judged, Satan cast down the whole nine yards. 21, you got what? New heavens, new earth, or am I a chapter early? And then 22, you've got the final declaration of the book. Read Revelation, it'll do you good. <laughs> this is the setup. This is the connection that you get from beginning to end. It's not like John is seeing this vision in Revelation. 
And none of this imagery makes any sense to him. Like, did you ever notice that as John's looking at this? Like, why has he got a rod of iron? Like, what's, what's, who carries a rod of iron? You have a sword and flaming eyes. Do you really need a rod of iron, honestly? Like, if you had flaming eyes and you, could, uh, you had a sword coming out of your mouth, would you be carrying a heavy stick? No, I don't need this. Is just, why do I carry this around? Because it's fulfilling and it's connecting back to the promises of the Old Testament. The warnings of judgment upon those who have not followed. The warnings of following after the word. What the word does, it accomplishes the purposes of God. It divides soul and spirit. It, <clears throat> don't try to breathe, speak, and swallow at the same time. It doesn't work. The word accomplishing the, the, the kingdom, it separating joy and spirit, the judgment that is coming, it is all being accomplished, and it is not just new. It's not like John just ate too much pepperoni pizza and had this weird dream. He's actually seeing something from God, demonstrating the work of God in fulfillment of, you ready for it? All this stuff. All, all not some of it. All of it. It's a connection, and that even comes back to here. What does the wise man and the king in rebellion against God actually look like? <laughs> it looks like this. This is why Jesus gives you the warning. Luke 12, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Mighty, wise magicians, turning water to blood, calling out frogs, doing all of this thing, and yet what can't they do? They can't stand before Moses. Why? Because God has judged them. God has brought them down low. And in response to that, they hide themselves from the man of God. In Exodus, the man of God is Moses. In Revelation 6, when the kings and the wise men of the earth hide themselves and pray for the mountains to fall on them, who is the man of God? It's Christ. This is not new. These connections are here because God is demonstrating something about himself, a consistency, a showing of what he is doing then is what he will be doing now and what he will be doing before the kingdom is finally ushered in. What does judgment look, look like? It looks like the proud. It looks like those who refuse to bow the knee being brought low because God is mighty. It looks like the testimony of the faithful people of God proclaiming his truth, proclaiming his righteousness, and urging those to follow after him and do what he says, please. And when they don't, all the warnings are brought to pass. This is the world we live in. This is the charge that we've been given. It has not changed. We don't think of it like that because, well, let's just be honest. We would rather be nicer than Jesus. That's what we would prefer. I want people to like me. I want people to speak well of me. You know who they don't like and they don't speak well of? The, the crazy guy with the beard and the sign going, repent, the end is nigh. Like, we don't like that guy and we're on his side. <clears throat> you know why he's so weird? It shouldn't just be one guy telling the pagans to repent. It should be an entire church walking in lockstep, proclaiming the truth of God and the reality of his coming judgment. Because it's a reality. Not like Westboro. No, no. No. We stand on the opposite side of the street from those guys, too. I have been to events where Westboro has protested. <laughs> 
They're an angry bunch. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't putting you in my suitcase to drag you to Dallas. It wasn't worth it. This is the difference. The, the reason why the judgment being proclaimed is so weird is, again, 34% of regular attending evangelicals think that if I just do what Jesus said, God will give me good things only in this world. 34%. That's a lot. Put that in perspective. Southern Baptists claim to have just under 16 million members. Now, I've laughed at that number for years because on an average Sunday, Southern Baptist churches only have about 5 million people in them. But let's just assume those 5 million are about our regular attenders. Of those 5 million, that means what? About 1.5 million actually think that if I show up to church on a Sunday... If I say my prayers, if I give money, if I read my Bible, if I train up my children, then God will make sure I get good things in this world. One and a half million Southern Baptists. That's just one denomination. How many Christians, quote unquote, think like this? Why would we ever proclaim a coming judgment to the world? I'm terrified there might be a coming judgment on who? Me. I'm so afraid of a coming judgment on me, I lie to myself about my theology, about what the Bible teaches, so that I can feel better about how I live in this world. And then I wonder why I'm standing there quoting Job, going, why have you done this to me? This is why we don't proclaim it, because this is why discipleship of the individual is so important, why we have to know what we know, because the world is looking at you going, no, 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 I've got some rocks, and I, I can dull that sword, and I can make sure it doesn't cut me, and I can convince you that this isn't true, and I can convince you that this isn't real, and if I do just enough of that, and I can get you off the path just a little bit, you know who you're going to leave alone? Me. And I don't care what that does to your soul, I just care that it doesn't change mine. This is the depravity of the human heart. This is the lostness of the soul. This is the lie of Satan. It's nothing new. Ask yourself, everything we've been talking about today, if you could summarize it with one Bible verse, do you think it would sound anything like, did God really say? That's the lie of the garden, isn't it? Did God really say? What is the History Channel Easter special going to try to tell you? Did God really say? Does your Bible really mean? Did God really create? Are you sure he really died? Nothing has changed. And the reality of the work of God has not changed either. Because there were two men in the court of Pharaoh watching this happen, watching the magicians cower, watching Pharaoh be more stubborn than a mule could possibly imagine, going, this is where I don't like the Charlton Heston version. Because, you know, by this point in the movie, Charlton Heston is walking how? I mean, he's got the... Yeah, I mean, he, he, he's, he's got the, uh, the, the, the Israeli pimp walk going, you know, like, mm-hmm. People are just moving out of the way. Let's just be honest. If you were Moses witnessing this, how would you have walked out of that room? I mean, would you have, would you have walked out like, part for me, people? Or would you have just, I mean, you've seen this. You've looked at the world, lost in their sin, and said, there's a better way, and they walk off. Do you ever go, oh, well, sinners, they can get what they deserve. No. That's what we have to remember. 
It's humanity hasn't changed. The conditions haven't changed, and God's promises haven't changed. And God's reality hasn't changed. There was not a mass multitude in Egypt seeing all of this and turning to Israel and asking for Yahweh to save them. There's some. We'll cover that when we get to the end here or as we get to the Exodus. But there weren't mass multitudes in Christian. There aren't mass multitudes today, and there never have been in human history. We've lost our influence in this culture. We didn't lose people in this culture. We lost our influence. And you know, I'm not entirely certain it's a bad thing. Because for years in this world, we were able to lie to ourselves and say, no, 30% of people couldn't possibly believe that. Look at the world. Look at our country. We're doing so good. Now you look at our world and you look at our country and you say, what about those 30%? I believe it. That's good news. That is good news for us and good news for them because now the lines are being drawn clearly. Do you think Moses and Aaron walked out of this room curious as to where the magicians and Pharaoh might stand? Do you think there was a doubt like, well, you know, they might... They might be on our side, but we can, we'll try again tomorrow and see what they have. No, Moses and Aaron walked out depressed knowing where they stood. Christian, you can now see this in the world today as well. When you look at rioters and you look at people cowering in fear and you look at people sick and you look at people dying, you can say what? I now know where they are. When I watch the movies and I hear the music and I read the books, I now know where you are. And that's good news because you know what? The darker that gets, the brighter the light shines. What we have to be disciplined enough to do, though, is just that. Shine the light. You need children's song theology. (laughs) I mean, why do you think we teach that song to children? Because if we can get it into your head when you're seven, we can hope. Let's be honest. What is every kid's favorite part of that song? Is it this little light of mine? I'm going to let it shine. No, they don't care about that part. What part do they like? Hide it under a bushel. You, you ever watch the How is it? It's like, now. You're like, now I know why your parents speak badly about you. <laughs> That's the part they like. Why? Because something primal almost has stirred up in them. No, I get to stand for something. See, even the sound system's like, yeah. <laughs> Think about it this way. What's number one people, peop- one, number one reason people join the military? I want, it's usually two things. It's either, there's either I, I love and I want to defend my country. And you know what the other one always is? I want to be part of something bigger than me. Always. I'm, 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 par- I'm, I'm doing my little thing here, but what am I a part of? As I do my little thing here, what's going on around me? Like, like I change the oil in this Jeep. But because I change the oil in this Jeep, it does not break down. And because it does not break down, those men who ride in that Jeep get to do it. All of this builds up. Oh, how does that thing go? Oh, it just went right out of my head. There's an old poem about that. Oh, it's like for loss of a cannon, the battle was lost. And for loss of the cannon, get down to the, what's the reason they don't have the cannon? Because the horse lost its shoe. <laughs> And you're like, because somebody didn't put the nail in there, the horse lost his shoe, and the whole war is gone. That's why people say they'll join the military. One of the number one reasons. I want to be part of it. Christian, welcome to discipleship day in and day out. I read my Bible. I pray. I trust. I walk. I disciple. I do my little thing in my little corner of God's creation. And it's as, as I do that, what am I a part of? I am part of this grand kingdom. 
with a God and a Savior who has loved me, has died for me, has taken away my sin and my iniquity. And when I'm confronted with the sin and iniquity of the world, I'd say, what? Look, this is what I'm doing. Why am I doing this? Because of all that he has done for me. He can do this for you too. There is a better way. That's the reminder when you see this, because otherwise, where does this end? This ends with fleeing. This ends with hiding. So verse 12, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them. We knew this was coming. Judgment continues. Not just on the magicians, but also on Pharaoh. Paul seized on this in Romans 9. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, so that it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says of Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has a mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires." We've known from the beginning Pharaoh was going to be judged, didn't we? God told Moses that before we even went into Egypt. He's not going to listen. He's going to be stubborn. I'm going to kill his firstborn. I'm going to judge Egypt, and I'm going to bring you out. We, we haven't even got there yet. We knew it's coming. Believe it or not, that should strengthen us. It should have strengthened Moses. It should have been good news. Like, I'm going to Pharaoh. What's going to happen? Well, he's going to be stubborn. He's not going to listen. Well, then what? <laughs> like, that doesn't sound like it ends well for me. It's okay. I will judge him. You'll be delivered. It'll be okay. Christian, judgment in the world, seeing God's wrath, seeing a world that is getting darker should actually comfort and strengthen you. Here's why. 1 Corinthians 1. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, and God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is my encouragement and why I continually tell you to stand on the word. The world will call you stupid. The world will call you foolish. They will insult you. They will mock you. Say you don't know anything in the whole nine yards. And you know what you know? I have God. What more do I need? I have the wisdom of the ages. I have the power of the Almighty. I have a security and a kingdom that you cannot comprehend. Please follow after me as I follow after him. Please, I beg of you. And they will mock and they will scorn and don't care. This is why I said 2020 is a blessing. Doesn't feel like it some days, but it should be a blessing to the believer. You know. You know where you stand. You know where your neighbors stand. You have learned more about human beings in the last seven, eight months than you could have in the next 80 years. You have seen the heart revealed of leadership, both government and in a lot of churches. You have seen the heart revealed of people that follow them. You have seen lines of demarcation, dividing lines drawn in society that it would have taken us decades to get through. And we've done it in less than six months simply because we had life taken away. And when a child gets their toys taken away, what do they do? 
Welcome to your country. This is what's going on. We lost our toys. They took away our sports. They took away my new TV shows. They took away my going outside to all these things that I want to do. They took away my toys. So what did we do? If you didn't throw the fit, God bless you. Congratulations. You just revealed your heart, didn't you? That's good news. That's comfort. That's blessing. And if you did throw the fit, hopefully you did it at home in the private. The cross is still open. You can repent of that and trust in God. For that too, Christ died. That's why God continues on, and that's why he uses the means of the soot, and that's why he demonstrates his power. Because when Pharaoh can sit there and go, no, there is no excuse. Now, did you notice the other line? We mentioned it with the plague. This was the first time we've mentioned that the the plague affected people directly. Did you notice the change in language here? Did Pharaoh harden his heart? No. No, he didn't. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. This is the first time we see this. God said no. Pharaoh is being judged. He is on the path to judgment. He is not getting off. And God will ensure it. And he will demonstrate his power. Christian, that too is a mercy. Because it's a reminder of the work that he has done on our behalf. That there before the grace of God go I. And we rejoice and we celebrate. Because that could have been any one of us. Save for the redeeming power of the Holy Spirit. And the mercy of God on display. Which again is why we cling to what message? What divides joint and marrow, soul, and spirit, the word. Just as the Lord had spoken, because this is the promise, this is what comes on. Psalm 118, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save, we beseech you. Lord, we beseech you to send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, and we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, and I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. There's your reminder. There is the line being drawn. You can see it between Pharaoh and Moses. Christian, it's the line that's still been drawn in this world. Nothing has changed. And here's again the good news. Did Moses walk out of Egypt? Yes. Why? Because God promised him that he would. Christian, you going to walk out of this place? Yes. Why? Because God promised in Christ that you would. That's the thing you cling to. That's the place that we have to rest. Was this fun for Moses? Like, do you think Moses got up every day and be like, I'm going to go drop some boils? I doubt it. I doubt it. Like, ooh, what are we doing today? Darkness. Awesome. I'm a little too brown anyway. That's okay. And this was sad. This was hard. You ever actually argued with somebody about religion? It's draining. You go home, and it's just like, I have run a marathon twice. You don't even know why you're exhausted. You just know that you are. You know, I mean, you know who does this every week? You know what's going to happen to me in about an hour and a half? Cameron's going to vouch for this. I'm going to get home and go, plug me back in. Like, what just happened? I don't know where it went. And then I uh, double-dose caffeine and try to get to the rest of the night. <laughs> I mean, it's draining. It's hard. And if you rest in the fact that I'm going to do this, you know what you're going to do? Every single time. But what is Moses looking to? 
judgment is coming, we're walking out of here. There's a kingdom. There's a land. There's a promise. There's a prosperity. Christian, that's how you walk. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death because you are with me, because your rod and your staff, they come for me, and they are going to make sure that I get to the kingdom, that I get to a place where there is no mourning, there is no tears, there is no sorrow. There is just peace and joy in Christ because of Christ. And that's why I walk. That means I got to do things I don't necessarily like. I got to stand firm in the face of this world. I don't get to go along. I got to keep sharpening the sword, training my mind, instilling discipline into my spirit so that I can faithfully continue on because that's how I get there. There's not another means because there's not another kingdom. There's not another kingdom because there's not another God and Savior that is ushering one in. We have to rest where God calls us to rest on his word challenging the things of this world, sharpening the sword, and living for the God who saved us. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you have done and the fact that you continue to do that work, that you have looked down and taken notice of us, that you have redeemed by your great power, and that you are completing your great work. Strengthen us, Lord. Sharpen our hearts and our minds that we would do due diligence, that we would sharpen our weapons, walking faithfully, proclaiming your great salvation to a world that so desperately needs to hear it, shining light until your kingdom illuminates everything. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All hail King Jesus, all hail Emmanuel, King of kings, Lord of lords, bright morning star. Throughout all eternity, I'm going to praise Him, and forevermore I will reign with Him. All Lord of lords, bright morning star, throughout all eternity, I'm going to praise Him, and forevermore I will reign. Lord of lords, 
Bright morning star Throughout all eternity I'm going to praise Him And forevermore I will reign with Him And forevermore I will reign with Him. A couple quick reminders. Business meeting, so please hang around. Remember Joe having surgery tomorrow. Remember Shirley this week. And remember. Be in prayer for Terry also, continue to recover and keep lifting him up. Let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave, we thank you. We ask that you continue to strengthen us, that we as your people would walk faithfully, proclaiming your great message, knowing the great work you have done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.